Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Well, good morning, everybody. Who, how many of you really don't even care about the Super Bowl at all? Wow. Um, I just go for the food now, basically, in my life. Because the Rams don't seem to be doing it this year. So, And, of course, we're still waiting on the Raiders. <coughs> oh, my throat. Ah. Boy, it gave me a sore throat when I said that word. Uh, before, <laughs> before, <laughs> before I begin today, let me just tell you, I, I know you, people ask, and uh, Olivia's doing great. Uh, I think she'll be completely off oxygen tomorrow. Uh, so that's a really good thing. And... Um, and so thank you for all your prayers, your support, for all the meals you guys have been bringing to the house and all the weight that I lost when I had COVID. Uh, I've gained it back and more, just letting you know because uh, of those desserts. And so, um, but I appreciate everything. Uh, but with that said, uh, let me just reinforce something we need to keep reinforcing. And that is when we're here on campus, here in the lobby, please wear your masks. And I know some of you say, well, it's a hassle. Yeah, but true love lays down this life for somebody else. Any amens on that? Amen. Wear your mask at all times in your please. I'm a person that has now seen firsthand what COVID can do to somebody that you love very much. And so let's wear the mask. You say, well, it's for, the, for me. No, for the sake of others, just wear the mask. And let's just do that. It's not going to kill anybody an hour and 10, 15 minutes to wear the mask. Any amens on that one out there? So please do that. So um, I would appreciate that. Now, with that said, I'm in this series called Impact Events. How many of you were listened to last week's message or you were here last week? And it, it made sense to you. Any amens on that one right there? Could make me feel good about my life. Any amens out there? Okay, good. So today I'm going to continue that series and I'm going to talk on a topic called What Story Will I Tell? How many of you like a good story? I know I do. And one of the things I like to do is, um, and it happens periodically, and you probably do it too, is where, tell him I said hi. <clears throat> um, have you ever um, sat around with the family and started, and your kids or whatever, they're growing up, and you start talking about things that happened years ago and tell all the funny stories? Anybody do that ever? That's just a lot of fun, in my opinion, to do things like that. And I, I love a good story. And have you ever noticed when you read the Gospels that Jesus is like a master storyteller? which tells me something. And by the way, my favorite uh, part of the Bible, New Testament, is a story Jesus tells, and that is the prodigal son. I love that story. It's just got so much to it. But I think that Jesus tells stories because we can really image that thing in our mind. So he must have put something in all humans that we enjoy stories. And that's why he told stories. And I think that's why those of us who love movies, like myself, we love a good story in a movie, right? They're just something that God has placed in every one of us. Now, with that said, since we're going to talk about what story will I tell, let me tell you one of the greatest stories I've ever heard. Didn't happen to me per se, but I had this person tell it to me. And I shared this story about eight or nine years ago. And if you remember it, you remember it. If not, that's fine too. But talking about stories. And uh, he could only tell this story uh, 65 years after it happened because when it happened, it was too tragic. But 65 years later, this guy could tell it with a smile on his face. But Olivia and I, about nine years ago, we took, uh, we were on vacation. We took the weekend off. I wasn't here. We were down in the San Diego, Oceanside, um, Carlsbad, Encinitas area. We like it down there. And um, 
we decided um, that we were going to go. It happened to be on the weekend where Veterans Day landed. And uh, I'm always interested in stuff like that. So we, we, we took the tour of that, uh, the old aircraft carrier in San Diego. It's, it's the Midway, right? Anybody taken that tour before? It's really a cool tour. And so we took the tour, and it's Veterans Day. So we find out that somebody said, those men over there, they are, um, they are veterans from World War II. And then one said, and one of them was in the Battle of Bulge. Once I heard that, uh, that really, I, I got to go hear this guy because my father fought and was injured in the Battle of the Bulge. My dad was a bazooka man, like Saving Private Ryan, the bazooka. That's what my dad was. He shot the bazooka. And so I went to listen. And these guys are, were very, very old nine years ago. And there's very few uh, World War II vets left. And they were great, great people. Now, he tells this story. And I thought, what a great story. And I couldn't wait to share it in an illustration Sunday nine years ago. But here's what he said. He said, um, he said one night, him and two American soldiers, three American soldiers, they found a barn. They're in Europe. The battle's going on. And uh, they went to sleep in the barn, but they were starving. And they saw this container, and it was filled with hard-boiled eggs. And they were starving. So what they did was they pulled the hard-boiled eggs out, and they ate the hard-boiled eggs. He said they lay down to sleep, and all of a sudden his stomach started rumbling. You ever eat something that was bad? It starts to go. And he, starts to, he, got, he gets diarrhea. He remembers that there's an outhouse outside there, so he gets up because it's, it's bad. And he goes to the outhouse. And the outhouse is old and rickety and it's wood and you could see through the little slats, you could see through it like that, but he's out there and all of a sudden he hears this rumbling and it's a German tank rolls up and he's in the outhouse. He says the German tank turns its gun toward the barn. It shoots and blows up the entire barn, killing his two friends. He snuck out through the other side of the outhouse and he got away and he lived. And then he finishes by telling the story this way, with a smile on his face that he could only do 65 years later, he said, and that's how diarrhea saved my life. <laughs> and I thought, what a great story, huh? You just can't even make up stuff like that. But we love stories, and uh, today I want to talk about what story will I tell. See, in the impact events of our life, uh, we have moments in life where we have experiences and we make decisions and this will end up in a story we'll tell later or maybe we don't want to tell that story. But before we get into all that, let's go to the key verse today, key verse in our statement, and that's found in Isaiah uh, 43, 18, 19. And would you read it with me out loud? It says, do not call to mind. Okay, let's all try that together, okay? Here we go. One, two, three. Do not call to mind the former things. Ponder the things of the past. Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of it? I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. Now, let me tell you what's going on here literally. <clears throat> Isaiah is prophesying 100 years into the future that the uh, Babylonians will come, invade Jerusalem, conquer it, and take everything, including captives, They'll take the, the brightest and the best, Daniel. That's how he gets deported to Babylon. Old Testament writer Daniel. They, they take him to there. It's 100 years before the event happens. He's prophesying. When we get to verse 18 and 19, he's actually moving now 70 more years into the future, 170 years from the moment he's prophesying. And he's talking about when 
Now the Persians have already conquered the Babylonians. Um, and now the Persians allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. And they get to rebuild their temple. And so that's what 1819 is about. That's the literal idea of it. I want to take that idea and show you that this is an impact event. Something impacted their lives where now they don't look to the things of the past the way Isaiah said. You look to the future. You look to the new things. See, there are impact events in our life and if we play them right and see what God is teaching us through them, they reshape, remold, redirect as they impact us into something better than before. Any amens on that? So let's read that statement right there together. One, two, three. Impact events. Let's try it again. One, two, three. Impact events shape the future. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. You can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 24. We're going to look at David, a young man at the time. David really lived, really became the king. King Saul really was the king at that time. These are real historical figures. And uh, there's uh, some bad stuff going on uh, in this situation. But David, <clears throat> he's going to have an event that we're going to read about with Saul that's going to impact him greatly. And it will end up in a story that we, it's going to be a doozy of a story that he will be able to tell in his future. And so we're going to look at this as we look at what story will I tell. Now, if you're in 1 Samuel 24, uh, you can read on the screen, read in your Bible, however you want to do that. Um, here it goes. I'm going to read it to you. I'll do some light commentary as I go because I want to pull out some other things <coughs> in the verses. Here we go. It says, now it came about when Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines. That's his normal job. That's what the king Saul should do, fight off the enemies of Israel. He was told, saying, the old David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. He has been hunting David down for years now because David is going to be a successor. He's been anointed to be the next king. Saul has now gone crazy, and he's been trying to kill David. It's a wrong thing. It keeps diverting his attention away from what he should be doing. Any of you ever, ever seen anybody crazy diverting their attention to this stuff versus what they should be doing? Any amens? Yeah, you know that. Verse 2. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men. So he's bringing the, the best to David from all Israel and went to see David and his men in front of the rocks of the wild goats. Verse 3. He came to the sheep folds on the way where there was a cave. Now, there's a lot of caves up there as you go to Engedi and go up, to, up in there. <clears throat> and Saul went in to relieve himself. He's going to go in there where he goes to the restroom. He probably, more than likely also, is going to take a nap to get out of the hot sun, the king, king Saul is. Now, David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Now, remember, it says he came to the sheepfolds. These caves, this must be one huge cave that you could put a lot of sheep in because David's got all of his there's men. They're all back in this cave, and they're hiding in the deep recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Now, David's men see this happening. King Saul's here by himself, and he's asleep, and he's trying to kill you, David, but here you got him now. And David's men said to him, said to David, Behold, it's like you and I saying, Look, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me, because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. 
That's a big, big statement there because Saul's crazy and he calls him the Lord's anointed because he understands the position. To stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, he finally wakes up and he left the cave and went on his way. Now afterward, David arose and went out of the cave. So he lets Saul get out, get a little bit of ways. David goes out and called to Saul saying, My Lord, the king! When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground and prostrated himself. So David gets down. Saul from a distance is watching this. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men? That's a great contrast of these two different guys there saying, Behold, David seeks to harm you. Why are you listening to people saying that I'm looking to kill you? I'm not looking to do anything like that. And then David says in verse 10, Behold, meaning look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in that cave. I had you. And some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed now my father now he calls Saul my father see he's holding up that little piece of the robe he cut off indeed see the edge of your robe in my hand in other words in case you didn't believe me that I had you look what I'm holding here for in that I cut off the edge of your robe <coughs> and did not kill you know and perceive that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands and I have not sinned against you though you are lying in wait for my life to take it mm, let's pray Lord as we look at this as we break down a few things in this exchange there's an impact event that's taking place that not just impacts today it impacts tomorrow with a story. And I just pray, God, that um, we'll take the challenge as we get to the question later on. And so we thank you, Jesus, for your word. It just illuminates us. It brings light to our life. In Jesus' name we pray and we say amen. Now, let me give you three things. Then we're going to drive this thing home. Number one, the first thing is, everyone experiences daily moral tension. Every one of us does. Look at, I'm going to read verse 3 again. And verse 3 says this. He came to the sheepfolds on the way uh, where there was a cave. Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. Now, here's the tension, because we all face moral tension in our lives. King Saul wants to kill David. He's been hunting David down for years. He strolls into the cave and he falls asleep back in there. David and his men are hiding deep in the inner recesses. David's got him. What are the chances of this ever happening? It's one in a million, guys. As King Saul, and I think he's napping, as he takes a nap, David and the men are watching. And they just cannot believe this is going on now. Now, let's think of the moral tension, because there's a moral tension, and you and I face a moral tension every day of our lives. Every one of us does. Here's the tension. Is David tired from being on the run? 
Is he tired of sleeping in caves and on the run out of the middle of nowhere? Yeah, that's right. Is he tired of not seeing family? He even had to leave his wife to get out of the city. Is he tired? That's right. That's right. He is. <clears throat> the guy who's sleeping there wants to kill him, has been trying to kill him for years. And also, do not forget, David himself knows that he himself has been anointed already by Samuel the priest to become the next king. David knows, I'm going to succeed this guy. Now, knowing all that right there, <clears throat> is it a huge temptation for David to kill King Saul? You better say, yeah. It's a big temptation. He's got a moral dilemma to sin. Every one of us faces moral tension in our life every day. Will I do the right thing or will I do the wrong thing? Will I do the God thing or will I do what I want to do and do the wrong thing? Now, the New Testament writer Paul writes this in Ephesians 6.13. He says this, Therefore take up the full armor of, of God so that you will be able to resist in the, say that, in the evil to having done everything to stand firm. Mm-hmm. Now, see, we stand firm in Jesus. We fight from victory, not for victory. We stand in victory already because of the cross and resurrection, right? Okay, never forget that. But he says that there's going to be an evil day that you've got to stand firm in. Now, <clears throat> question, what is the evil day? <laughs> That's right now. I, heard, I read one writer, he said this, and I never forgot it. This is the way I define it to give myself meaning to the evil day. It is any moment, any time, any day that Satan comes in like a flood into my life to tempt me to go the wrong way. That's the moral tension of my life. Now, <clears throat> David is a fugitive, <clears throat> and he's facing his evil day. I've got Saul right here. Now, I have a big question for you. What is the root or the motivation, or what's the big temptation for David in killing Saul? I can cut short my suffering by taking a shortcut. You hear what I just said? I can cut short my suffering by taking a shortcut. Now, I'm, you guys know I'm a backpacker. If you've been to the church for a while, you know I go to the high Sierras. I, I'm not a camper. If you take me camping, there better be a hotel a mile away. It's got a bed, shower, and a remote. I'm not going camping anymore. I'm a backpacker. So what's the difference? Well, a backpack, we carry everything on our back. We carry our food, clothes, hygiene. Um, we, we carry, our stove's like this big. Uh, we carry our water containers, collapsibles. We carry our sleeping bag, our tents. We carry our bedroll, which is an air mattress that rolls down to about this small. Um, all that. That's, that's, we get our water from streams. You know, we catch fish with our teeth. We, it's, just, it's just tough. Okay, we don't catch fish with our teeth. Okay. Now, there are rules in the high Sierras in the backcountry. There are rules even there. there are, yes, there are. One of the rules is that you cannot go to the restroom within 100 miles of any body of water. That's a good rule, right? Because we're all going to drink that water eventually, correct? So how many are glad I obey that rule? Praise the Lord, huh? 
But another rule is, as you're, climb, as you're hiking, you come to these places where they're called switchbacks. You're, you're, you're climbing, and they, the trail switches back and forth, and back and forth. If any of you ever climbed Mount Whitney, you know there's a section where you've got to go 99 switchbacks up to 13,300 feet at a certain segment. One of the rules is, you do not cut the trail. You do not go like, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm going to cut right up. You don't do that. They say, because if you cut the trail, you form a new trail and you erode that ground. So when winter comes and the waters come and the rain and the snow melts, instead of it going down the trail, it'll go down another part of the mountain and it starts eroding that, that part of the mountain. See, whenever you kind of take a shortcut, you erode things. So David is sitting there and I know the temptation has got to be, <clears throat> I can cut short my suffering by taking a shortcut. That's a big temptation, is it not? Let me tell you something that's crazy. You know what it says in Ephesians, um, Hebrews uh, around 5, 8, it says um, that Jesus himself, he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He, God in the flesh, learned obedience by the things that he suffered? Yeah, why is it you and I, whenever we go through suffering, we almost feel like this just can't be happening because I'm serving God and I'm a Christian? Why do you think that? Don't ever think like that because you're going to throw your faith possibly away if you think like that. If Jesus suffered, guess what? At times we're going to suffer, right? See, David has this opportunity to cut short his suffering by taking this shortcut. Did Jesus ever face that temptation? You better believe he did in the desert when he's battling Satan mano y mano and Jesus is fasting for 40 days. Satan takes him up to this area, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says, look, you don't have to go through the suffering. You don't got to go to the cross, Jesus. Just fall down and worship me right now and I'm going to give you it all. And you think about what he's telling Jesus. You can cut short your suffering by taking this shortcut. But Jesus says, no, that's not what we're going to do. Because if Jesus would have taken the shortcut, he would have eroded salvation for all of humanity, right? Let me tell you something that's just true. Sometimes it's better to wait than, than wish you hadn't waited. Isn't it? There's somebody in here got married and they wish, I wish I'd have waited. It's true. I'm not trying to be mean. It's, it's just true. Now, so that's the first thing. We all face some moral tension. Will I do right or will I do wrong? Now, the second point this morning is this. Sometimes moral tension is increased by well-meaning people. Have you ever found that to be true? Oh, no, maybe you haven't, but let me, let me share it. Let me go back to verse 4 again. It says, let me read it again. <clears throat> the men of David said to him, now they see King Saul asleep, and David's men way back in the cave, they see this, and now they're whispering to David. Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. Question. David's men see Saul asleep. They know it's Saul. And what do they tell David? This is of God. This is God's will. Look what God's doing. Is it God's will? No. Be careful. Some of you are real mercy people. And you don't like to see your friends suffering, do you? Do you? Be careful, mercy people. 
What do you mean mercy? Romans chapter 12, mercy, motivational gift. You view life through the eyes of mercy. You feel for people. Be careful because sometimes your feeling will get in the way of the will of God, huh? You'll be led by your feelings instead of the Spirit's leadings. And because you feel, you will give wrong advice at times if you don't stay true to the Word of God. See, you mercy people, we need you in church. You know why? To combat guys like me, I'm called profit motivated. I don't have a lot of feeling. I'm like black and white. And sometimes you mercy people will feel like, you're just being mean. Anybody ever felt that about me? I don't want to see your hands at all. <laughs> I saw your hand go up right there. I'm so hurt right now because I've changed so much. But I'm just telling you, be led by the word of God and not your feelings. Because sometimes your feelings, you'll give wrong advice to people, will you not? Because your motivation is, I've got to cut short your suffering, so let's take a shortcut. How do you know they're not supposed to suffer to learn something or grow through something, right? Now, let me show you something. What do the men tell David? The men say basically this to David, kill Saul because of God. Isn't that what they're saying? In verse 6, what does David respond by saying? I didn't kill Saul because of God. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Wow. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Because here's what I want to drive it home now. This is all just prep work now to get to here. It says in verse 4, David arose. He's in the cave. Gets up. He's got his dagger in his hand. And the men are going, this is it, this is it. We're going to be free. David's going to be king. Yes, go kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. gets up to him. He's got the dagger. Can you feel the tension? Not just in his men. There's still tension in David's heart, is there not? Because I could still kill this guy. And then David cuts a piece of the robe. Saul must have laid the robe aside. He cuts a piece of the robe off. Question? If you're David's men and you see David going up there and you think it's going to be over and then he cuts a piece of the robe off and comes back with a little piece of material, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? This is the most disappointing moment of my life. I have a question for you. If David would have killed Saul that day, what would David be? He'd be King Saul. Because what did King Saul want to do? Kill him. You better be careful that in your doings in life, you don't become like the person that you're accusing them of doing things. Because there's ill will in your heart. You can never let ill will, anger come into your heart. You've got to watch those things. Because you can justify anything, can you not? I know I can. Now, now it leads to the impact event. Point three, and that's this. Right decisions impact today and tomorrow. Oh, I like this. Watch verse six and seven. And he said to his men, he comes back with a piece of material. Far be it from me because of the Lord. Remember, they said, kill Saul because of God. He said, I didn't kill Saul because of God. Right there he says it, because of the Lord. That I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. David, watch this statement, don't miss it. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul 
and Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. Okay. Notice the today part, because remember the point is right decisions impact today and tomorrow. Here's the today part. David's self-control that day impacted his men to not do what? That's right. You know, you ever notice that the way we carry ourselves carries beyond ourselves? Let me say it again. Do you ever notice the way we carry ourselves carries beyond ourselves? There's something about David in the way he carries himself, it carries beyond him. His men don't rise up. His self-control in not killing Saul leads to self-control over his men. That's great influence, is it not? That's something, there's something strong, there's leadership there that says true to God's will and God's word no matter if it's more convenient not to. That's a today. But it, today affects tomorrow. Does it not? Does it not? My decisions today affect my tomorrow. Let me explain it. <clears throat> okay. So, um, let me blend these things together now. So, Olivia came home on January 24th. And on, the next, on that Monday night the next day, because she wanted one night, just, just let me come home. Let me sleep in my bed. So, the next day, all the kids come home. And the grandkids, I had two at the time. Now I have three. <laughs> and we're all there. They came to see not granddaddy, um, and I want to be called granddaddy, not papa, not grandpa, not whatever, granddaddy. <laughs> so I make sure I train those kids, say granddaddy. Willa, the oldest, she can say granda. That's as far as she gets. I'll take it right now. But they came to see, Olivia wants to be called Gigi. But anyway. So they came to see Gigi. <clears throat> Not Abuelita like the chocolate, but Gigi, okay. Is that called Abuelita? Is that what it's called? Yeah. Can't remember. Mexicans like chocolate that you can break your head open with. It's just real hard stuff. So I have grandkids and I have kids. David... He has kids, not yet, but he will have kids and he will have grandkids. Will he not? David doesn't take the shortcut and slit Saul's throat that day, right? That's today for him. But one day those grandkids are going to be sitting around him. What if David would have slit that man's throat that day and violated God's word? And those grandkids sit around there and they say, Hey, granddaddy. Granddad, tell us that story again, how you violated God's word and God's will and slit Saul's throat. We love that story. But that's not what they asked, huh? You know what they'll ask? Granddaddy, tell us that story again how when all the moral tension was there and all the pressure to do the wrong thing to kill Saul, slit his throat and cut short your suffering for a shortcut to the throne tell us that story 
how you murdered him? Or tell us the story how you didn't do that, I should say. Well, I said it again. Tell us how you did the right thing and you let him live. That's the story he gets to tell, huh? I want my kids, I want my grandkids to know their dad and their granddaddy, not a perfect guy, but he was a moral guy. And he made right decisions, even in the most difficult times, even when it wasn't popular. I want them to be able to, I want to be able to tell them the right stories from my life. It's back to the big question, what story will I tell? What story will you tell? See, the big issue right now is this, is how are we living our lives? I'm talking to followers, no, I'm talking to everybody, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, because you want to tell the right stories, don't you? And if there's parts of our life that we have to, you know, kind of keep quiet, I don't want anybody to know this big part of my life, the secret here, then there's a problem there. See, what story will you tell? And I'm not trying to hear condemn you, oh, I've lived so bad. Then change it from today forward, right? That's what Jesus came for. Let me tell you why it's so important. Okay, this last year with the pandemic, they closed the movie theaters down. And a lot of the movies I was looking forward to didn't come out. And one of them was, after 30-some years, was Top Gun Part 2, right? How many know that was coming out? And it didn't come out. So it's like, man. But how many of you have seen top, the first Top Gun? Okay. How many know that movie pretty well? Okay, I do too. Tom Cruise plays um, a Navy pilot. And he's troubled emotionally. There's no doubt about it. He keeps breaking the rules. Keeps breaking the rules. And that's called sabotage, guys. He can't even make uh, a relationship work. And then something happens where it really messes with his head even more because his head isn't straight as it is if you really watch the movie. And he's about to quit Top Gun school. And then you, as you watch the movie, you find out what's wrong with him? Why is he like this? And this is why what I've talked about is so important. There's that scene I think his name's Viper in the movie. Viper comes to talk to him because he's Tom Cruise Maverick. He's not going to finish Top Gun School. He's, he's, he's going to quit. And he comes to talk to him. And then you find out that the reason Tom Cruise, he just violates rules and can't keep relationships going and he's going to quit is because he's under the impression he's heard the story that his father who was a pilot, didn't do things the right way. And so he's been living under this cloud, and so now you see the son breaking rules, can't keep relationships straight, about to quit. And Viper, he says, I flew with your father. 
course, he wants to hear that. Hear about him now. And he goes, he says, let me tell you about your dad. He talks about how they were, it was crazy back then, and they had to fly into a neighboring country from Vietnam, and they basically were ordered to go in there. It was top secret. And after the fact, Tom Cruise basically took the blame for it, even though he's just following orders, basically, is the way I understand the story, because I watched the movie 20 times. And then Tom Cruise says this to Viper, he says, about asking about his own father who's passed away. He goes, so my dad did do it right. And he says, your dad did it right. Your dad did it right. And that changes Tom Cruise. He gets up. He graduates. And then, of course, flashes to the Middle East. He's in that gun battle with uh, Russian MiGs. And he shoots down about three of them. I'll tell you something. I've been in ministry 40, 30-some years. I've been a Christian 41 years, 40, 40, almost 42 years. You know how many young people, young men I've seen, young women I've seen, who just throw their lives away, make bad decisions, end up going to prison, can't keep relationships right. And most of the time, what you find behind the scenes is there were no good stories passed down to them. Or maybe dad left when they were little kids. They were not given what they were needed, what was needed. They needed the parent, parents, grandparents, to share, to live right, to live morally right, so they could tell the right story and have a model to follow. Any amen? Like in the movie, once he found out, so my dad did do it right. That changes the story. And it changes life. You and I have a responsibility in the impact event of daily life to make right moral decisions so that we can tell the right story to our kids and our grandkids. Any amens? We don't need any more people breaking up marriages and blowing marriage and relationship to relationship. We don't need any more people throwing their life away and not living up to what they could. We don't need more kids in prison. We don't need any more of that. Any amens? We need to tell the right stories. And we can only tell the right story if we live the right story and live more right. David is in the cave and he can take the shortcut and slit the man's throat and everybody would have said, yeah, baby. But David says, nah. I'm not doing that because of God. And so I can only imagine David sitting around with his grandkids one day saying, I had a chance to kill him. Would have shot me right to the throne. But you know, it wasn't the way God wanted it. I did the right thing. And so David had a good story to tell. He had a right story to tell. So the question is this, what story will you tell? What story will I tell? It's as simple as that. Because each generation after us, they need good stories. They need to do, know we did it right. Not perfect, but we did it right. We did it right. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, it's not easy being a parent or a grandparent. Not at all. 
not easy being human, facing all the temptations and struggles and sufferings that we face at times. But that's what we are, and there's a responsibility with that. That we need to live right. Make the right moral decisions. Whether you're a follower of Christ or not, either way, you want to tell the right stories. What story will you tell? Now, today as you sit here, you're watching online today, or you're going to watch this a few months down the road, if you've never put your faith in Christ, and what I specifically mean by that, what the Bible teaches about that is that you become a follower of Jesus. You follow his moral guidelines. You will ask God through the Spirit of God to come and dwell within you, and he will. He will wash away your sins as you ask him to forgive you. He'll wash it all away. And now you begin to live according to the Word of God. You're a New Testament believer. You follow those guidelines. And watch what God does. And watch how He changes your life. And most of all, your name will be recorded in heaven. So that when you die, you go into eternity with Jesus and you escape hell. And you may say, well, I, how, I don't want to believe in a God who would send someone to hell. Oh, you make an assumption that's incorrect. You think that people want... Look, he's not going to send anyone to heaven who doesn't want to go there against their will. He's just going to give people what they want. And that's why they go there. He will not force anyone. That's not love. But you have an opportunity to place your faith in Jesus and to escape all that and yet come into this loving relationship with God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, and rose from the dead. And the rising from the dead is the receipt of what happened and that's what gives you new life. Or maybe you backslid and you're living all kinds of wrong stories. You gotta fix those stories now. It's time to come back to Christ. You could tell good stories. So if you'd like to put your faith in Jesus for the first time or rededicate your life, I'm going to do this. We're going to all do this. <laughs> I'm going to say this prayer. Everyone here is going to say it out loud after me. If you're in this room or you're online, wherever, repeat it. And as you repeat it, place your faith in Jesus Christ. So here we go. Let's repeat this prayer out loud. Those who are going to put their faith in Christ for the first time, rededicate your life, make sure you repeat. Here we go. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me so much that you would give your life for me in my place, that you would go to a cross. Allow yourself to be killed, to shed your precious blood to forgive me and then rise from the dead to give me new life. Forgive me of my sins. I know I'm forgiven. Holy Spirit, come live in me. Today I choose to follow you for the rest of my life. Change my story. 
Now let me pray. God, I pray for everyone who said that prayer for the first time or in rededication. I pray you follow Christ with everything you've got. You're not going to be perfect, but that's why you have Christ, to forgive you when you stumble and fall. And you say, forgive me, Lord, and He forgives you. Get up and do it right now. The Spirit of God now lives in you by faith. There's a new person inside of you. It's not self-improvement, it's self-replacement. And now you're going to walk as a new creature in Christ, a new creation with a new story day by day. And I pray, if you don't know what to do, talk to Christians around you or go online or church. It'll give you direction what to do, your next steps. Come on, man, just make sure you follow up on this thing. I've been following up for almost 42 years. I've never regretted it. And know that God loves you. He loves you and he's always loved you and he's been searching for you all your life and now you finally gave in. Thank you, Jesus, for this glorious day. In Jesus' name we pray and we all said amen and amen. Stand up with me, everybody. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media on Facebook and Instagram at NBCC Norco or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.